You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hello. How you doing? Fine, as far as I know. As far as you know. I often say that. Okay. That's my new thing to say <laughs> when people ask me. It's going to get old really quick, but... Uh, I mean, there's there's truth in it. Yeah, because here's the thing, Ethan. I'm... How should I put this? Well, I'll put it in terms of the Enneagram, which we often do. Yes. I am a type six. Yes. Which means that I tend to think about worst case scenarios. Yeah, sure. I do that. Mm-hmm. That is something that I do. You do. And the reality is, as a type six, I feel fine right now, right? <laughs> yeah. My body feels fine. My emotions, my mm-hmm. spirit, everything feels fine. That's good. But I might not be fine. Yeah. That's... There could be something terrible happening inside of mm-hmm. my body that mm-hmm. I'm, I don't even know about. That's true. I, I could have some terrible disease ravaging away my insides right now, and I just haven't realized mm, it yet. You could, but I doubt it. <laughs> As of my professional <laughs> that's, analysis. That's it. Doubt. Yes, doubt. <laughs> Press X to doubt. Bring that <laughs> meme back, <laughs> please. So, how are you? It's been a while. Uh, it has been so... Life feels longer than it's been. It's just True. been a perfect like, overlap of vacation, and like me or you or Zach, like, it just, it's all lined up in such a way that it's been too long since we've yeah, been on these... Stools and mics and I so was on. gone for a week and then mm-hmm. Zach was gone and you were out a couple of days in between mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been summertime. Wild. It feels good to be back. I'll tell you yeah, what. Yeah, yeah, it does get back into the swing of thing a rings. Mm. Swing of thing a rings. That's what that's I don't. What, that's what, what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, today we are continuing into the Apostles' Creed, yeah, as opposed to the Apollo Creed. You like that joke, <laughs> Apollo Creed? <laughs> I was going to make a rocky joke. I was going to make yet another Assassin's Creed joke <laughs> <laughs> because I've been playing old Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> oh yeah, I <laughs> what? Well, we talked about this recently. I want to play we Assassin's did. Creed two again. So, not that anyone cares, but in case your brother listens to this episode. <laughs> I made the comment that the the original classic Assassin's Creed 2 didn't hold up as well. I'm going to walk that all back. Mm. It turns out that it holds up better than I thought. There are just a few things that got under my skin. But frankly, huh. it's a good it's a good game to kind of sit back and chew on. Yeah, I'm going to have to do it sometime. Yeah, good. In addition to chewing on the Apostles yeah. Creed. Let's hit me with the Apostles Creed instead. <laughs> Uh, So, in the last episode we did in this series, we looked at the first article of the Creed, which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And if you haven't listened to that, then then you can go back and listen. You can. (laughs) You totally can. It would be helpful. (laughs) Uh, So, the Father is the first person in the Trinity. And now we are on to the next article of the Apostles' Creed, which reads... I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So I'm going to put, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth mm-hmm. and I'm going to say that seems really simple and straightforward. Well, Ethan, it yeah, may seem that uh, way. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Until you, uh, we were just talking about knives out before we started recording. What was yes, it? We, uh, yes. uh, truffle dogs. <laughs> is it, is it a, like a hog? Truffle hog? Yeah. Yeah. Had, like, that's it. it. Like, uh, they yeah. Why did I say truffle go. dog? Truffle hog. <laughs> rifling and rooting. And he's talking about people investigating. Uh, anyway. Yes. Yeah. So until we become truffle hogs and investigate this <laughs> further. That's what I aspire to be. <laughs> So what what we're talking about in this article is, of course, the Son, mm-hmm. the second person of the Trinity. When he came to earth in the flesh, he was given the name Jesus, yeah. which is pretty straightforward. It's like, oh, yeah, we're talking about Jesus. So far. Yeah, which seems, again, simple. But <laughs> as a matter of fact, in this article, we see that Jesus is actually called by three different titles. He is the Christ, which contrary to popular belief, Christ is a title. It's not <laughs> Jesus's last name. So he's the Christ. He is the Father's only Son. And he is our Lord. Three different titles right there. Bang, bang. You know, I don't. I don't know 
why, but somehow it just didn't register that this laid out the three distinct roles to mm. me. I think I would have just said, yeah, they're just being really specific about saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> That's it. I believe in Jesus. But they're just being, you know, just specific for the fun of writing a creed. Yes, that That's how dumb I realize I sound incredibly stupid, but I somehow thought like, oh, it wasn't intentionality. Surely. What could we, what could we say about this man, Jesus? We, just, we need this line to be as long as the previous one. Give me some more words. Like that's what I would say. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yes. So they are three distinct roles or titles. So... You know what that means? We got to ask the question, what do these titles mean? We do. So like, what are we saying when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord? Like, you know, I mean, that raises some questions. Like, aren't all Christians sons and daughters of the father? What is a Christ? What is that? How is he our Lord? What the heck does that mean? How did you suddenly make this more complicated? (laughs) This has far exceeded my expectations. I love making things complicated. You're just revealing the complication that is already there. <laughs> We're revealing the unseen. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. We're just peeling back the layers. We're. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really in people, like the people. You got to go watch Knives. Yeah, Out. Yeah, you got to watch Knives Out. I'm in like the Benoit. I can't even say Benoit. Yeah, Benoit Blanc. Yeah, he's got that southern gentleman. Yeah. Well, then the one detective calls him Benny. Yeah, he does. Calls him. He's just <laughs> so funny. Benny, like he knows him like our Benny. best friend. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, so anyway, thankfully, the scriptures answer just such questions for us. As a matter of fact, the first time that we hear Jesus explicitly called by the title of Christ is in Matthew 16. Okay, I need to walk back for a minute because I just remembered. That's the first time that one of his disciples chronologically calls him the Christ. Matthew actually calls him the Christ in his genealogy. So for any of those scholars out there that are listening to this right now, I caught myself just now. Okay. They're taking notes with a red pencil. Yeah, like, what's the matter with this guy? Who does he think he is? Anyway, but the key verse is Matthew 16, verse 16. And that's actually where Jesus is asking the disciples what the people are saying about him. Like, who do they say I am? And that is where Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter almost says that article verbatim, just missing our Lord, but he almost gets it. (laughs) Wow, Peter, he knew the Apostles' Creed. Ah, it's funny. That's that's chronologically Uh wrong. It's incorrect. But so even Peter here, he begins with Christ. That's the first thing is you are the Christ. Yeah. So Christ is actually the Greek term for the Hebrew term Messiah. Brilliant. Yes, isn't that something? Greek and Hebrew, what the heck? Both Christ and Messiah mean anointed one. Okay. That is actually a callback to the Old Testament because when a priest or a king or a prophet was chosen by God, they were oftentimes ritualistically anointed with oil. So you think about like when King David was chosen and Samuel went to him, Samuel anointed him with oil. Aaron, the priest, was anointed with oil. The Psalms attest often to God's anointed one. You see that a lot. I think of like Psalm 2 is a pretty prime example of that. So in Jesus's own day, all that is to say, most people would probably have thought of the promised Davidic king when they heard the term Messiah or Christ. Oh, okay. That was what anointed one as the timeline of scripture continued to advance and as the history of Israel continued forward, that term came to fill people's imaginations with the Davidic king, the promised one who would rule in justice and righteousness. That helps explain their expectations a Mm -hmm. lot more. And of course, the thing is, is that Jesus did come as that Davidic king. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He did come to establish God's kingdom and reign over it with justice and righteousness. But 
as you just hinted, in his first appearance on Earth, he didn't come to do that in the way that most people expected. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, even nowadays, when you think about praying or expecting our rulers to rule in justice and righteousness, you think of that in very legislative political terms, I think, right? Like, I do. Like, when I think about presidents or kings, parliaments, congresses, all those things, you're thinking, like, they're going to enforce just laws, and they're going to help the society that they rule over flourish, right? In a very obviously political sense, (laughs) right? Does that make sense? But Jesus, in his first appearance on earth, came, as Matthew would actually say, to save his people from their sins, which meant he did subvert some political realities. Like, that was... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. He was executed as a public political criminal. Like, there were things that he was doing that were making political authorities nervous. Yeah. Like, Pontius Pilate was kind of representative of the Roman imperial system of law and he made Pilate very nervous and not necessarily even because of necessarily what he said or did but because of the reaction that Jesus was eliciting from his fellow Jews and I I wonder if if there was not some sense of his reputation or expectation of what like Jesus was supposed to represent Mm -hmm. he's like oh suddenly all these people think this Christ fellow is is going (laughs) to you know, dismantle our our establishment or something, it kind of makes sense that he would be nervous. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But the reality underneath all that was that Jesus was coming to save his people from their sins. And he was doing that so that his people could enjoy his perfect reign in a new heaven and new earth and be spared from condemnation. Because the tricky reality is if Jesus didn't first save us from our sins, if he came back as a king, it would be for judgment. Yeah. Like if we weren't saved from our sins, he would be reigning in perfect righteousness and justice. And that would mean we would all be <laughs> done so. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. the first thing he has to take care of is our sin. And that's what he first came to do as the Christ. So when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, we mean no less than that. But we also, of course, mean much more. We just don't have time to get into all right. of that. Like we could probably take a whole episode. Maybe we should have just to talk about the Christ portion of his of his role because there's so much attached to the Old Testament and the expectations that I elicited and how they were developed over time because that was that was fairly recent in Jesus's day the expectation of what the Christ the Messiah really? the Northern one would do yeah you really see that starting to come to the fore with like the Maccabean brothers uh, the Maccabees which you can read about if you find a Catholic Bible you can pick up the Apocrypha there and you can read about them there it's some good history it came to be more developed closer to the time of Jesus's birth and that's life. interesting so anyway that's what we're talking about when we say Jesus is the Christ he's the Messiah he is God's anointed one definite article the anointed one yeah like i actually like the addition of the yeah and all of its uses mm-hmm. i just it appeals to me yeah yeah there's something just so and i think it, it draws attention to the the nature of it as a title yeah it does some of the appeal to me you're talking about that that i just now thought about some of that is aesthetic to me yeah like there is something almost mythic about yeah when you throw the in front of something like that like the anointed one like there's just something like oh it feels mythic it you does, know yeah. i don't know so anyway that's what we're talking about there. So then we move on to the fact that Jesus is God's only son. Now, how does that work? And what does that mean? Because, you know, like I I said, like the Bible says, all who put their faith in Jesus become the sons and daughters of the father, right? So the very short answer is that the son, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, he is what the Nicene Creed would call begotten of the father. In fact, the exact words in that creed are, he was begotten of the father before all worlds, and he was begotten, not 
made. What? What? Yeah, what? I know. It's um, Here's, <laughs> without getting too much into the weeds, in other words, Jesus is begotten of the Father in a way that makes him God's son in a unique way from us when we say that we are the sons of God. Because here's the thing is that this is one of those, you start talking about like the mysteries of the Trinity. The son was not made. He was not created. He has always existed. He and the father and the Holy Spirit, there was never a time they didn't exist. It wasn't like there was a moment where the father existed and then like 0.00001 milliseconds later, <laughs> the son came into being and the Holy Spirit like right. always existed. But in some sense, the son is begotten of the father. Like his essence is tied up with the father in a way that defines the relationship in such a way that he is the father's son. So that's that's kind of the short answer okay. is that it defines the relationship between the two. And here's why I think this became particularly controversial in the early church. Controversial? Yes. There was something called the, um, I don't know if it was technically called by this this title, but there were the disputes with the Arians. Oh, I do not like any um, part of what's happening. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> How can anything about this be good? Yeah. So let's start with what the scripture says to understand how this happened. Excellent start. You get a verse like Colossians 1.15, which is talking about Jesus. And Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay. So there were some people who took that to mean Jesus was God's first creation. He's the firstborn of all creation, right? <sighs> like, oh, yeah, so that means he made him first. I feel, um, I feel like you're carrying in some implications to the verse when you say that. Yes. Yes, you are. And that was what this group called the Arians did. What they were saying was, well, Jesus is not actually fully human and fully God. He was a unique creation of God that was like separate from the rest of creation. And when he came to earth, he was like endowed with something that made him... This is an exceptional loophole. Yeah, it's it's a very strange time <laughs> in church history. And um, Augustine wrote a great deal... <laughs> to like push back against That's the Arians amazing. and say a lot of his writing had to do with pushing back against that. And then you get like the formulation of creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedon Creed, which were like, well, obviously these guys are confused about this. So we really need to explicitly oh. state what the nature of the son as fully God and fully man. So that fueled some of, of the writings of these creeds. Mm -hmm. That is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Now here's the other thing though, is if you are taking that verse to mean Jesus was God's first creation, that still doesn't square up even with the following verses in that passage in Colossians because oh, okay. <laughs> what he goes on to say is for by him by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body of the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead and in everything he might be preeminent and i'm gonna stop there because there's more but we don't have time to get into all that so take those verses right all things were created through him and for him that means there are two categories of thing in the universe <laughs> yeah. right there is that which is created and then that which is not created mm -hmm. there is only one thing that goes in the not created category which would be God, God, right? The, the Godhead. Yes, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everything else is made, right? Yes. So what Paul just said is Jesus made everything. Exactly. And that's what John says too in John chapter one. He says, everything that was made was made through him, which means <laughs> Jesus does not belong in the made category. He belongs in the unmade category, Exactly. which means he is fully God. You would just have to stop reading at that first verse. You would. Also, you would have to ignore Paul, like in Romans 15, when he says Jesus is the Christ, the God over all. Like, you just, you know, you just, you have to ignore a lot. Something, the whole gospel of John. You have to ignore the whole gospel of John, basically. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So anyway, you got that. But also aside from that, it's just bad, bad interpretation of scripture because when Paul calls him the firstborn over all creation, 
That is an almost direct parallel to Psalm 89.27. Psalm 89.27 is referring to David, and it reads, this is God speaking about David, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, let me ask you, was David the first king who ever existed? Pretty sure that's going to be a yeah, no pretty for sure me. he was not. <laughs> like, he was not the first king who ever was in the world. In fact, it says the highest of the kings, and it, it, yes, it implies that there it, are other kings. <laughs> yes, it explains what he means by firstborn, yeah. right? And so what he's talking about is his preeminence. And it's the same thing with Jesus. He's talking because, about, yeah. In family structures, the firstborn had this, like this, uh, I, I know the word clout is not the best word, but there's some like authority. There's some like honor yes. given to the firstborn. Yeah, that's exactly it. So what he's saying is Jesus is the firstborn and that he is preeminent over all creation. Yeah. Because, well, he made it. <laughs> like, let's see, God, he worked through it to make it. So yeah, it's, it's really something there. So the the misunderstanding of this was to suggest that Jesus was a creation of God. Mm-hmm. The first creation, that is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Whatever. Um, <laughs> rather than this internally existing thing like the, that we've described. Yeah. So uh, if I'm following this correctly, does that mean only begotten speaks to the like the uniqueness of immaculate conception and or, or God being incarnate? Or does that not even enter the picture? Well, I think you probably get some traces of that because there is that moment where Jesus Jesus takes on flesh. Right. So begotten, right? begotten is sort of, it's being used similarly to the word firstborn as in, in a not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We could get into that more. Again, that would be a whole episode because you're talking about really crazy metaphysical discussions that happen like, <laughs> there was a debate, again, it was it was involving around this about the nature of Christ and what it meant to be like, you know, be begotten and of the same essence as the father and all these things. And there was, I mean, outrageous debate over one letter. In what, what? It was like, the difference, and I can't remember the Greek word right now. It's like uh, homo es suni. I can't remember how to say it, but like it was a difference between one letter oh, of saying man. like he was of the same essence or of like similar essence. I'm definitely and, out of my depth. Yeah. And so I was like, that's just like, woof. It's, it gets advanced. So, so all of this, all of yeah. this confusion was because someone didn't get what firstborn was supposed to imply. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like a mid-century tract could have cleared this up. <laughs> I mean, ignoring the fact that I realize I've sounded somewhat confused the entire time, but seriously, uh, it's an interesting thing to get hung up on, but clearly it has yeah. enormous ramifications. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And that's, that's it. So, uh, as the father's only begotten son though, to get like into what he does there, Jesus perfectly loves the father. He reveals the father to us in flesh and blood, and he shows us how to live as a truly human being. Like that's, that's something he does as the son, mm-hmm. the son who now has our flesh in heaven. Yes. Like, that He's weird? carried that. Like, he did not have that before, and now that is wild he is there. Me. Isn't that wild? That's something we could do another series on that, like how the church fathers really talked about this, and we don't much anymore, which is very sad to me. But we talk a lot about how Jesus' death accomplished our salvation. The church fathers spent a lot of time talking about how the mere fact that Jesus was incarnated redeemed our flesh. Like, the very oh, fact wow. that God the Son, the moment he was born, was another change for human nature. Like, that moment, that act redeemed human nature in a unique way. Wow. And, like, we just don't talk about that much but sure. i just think that's interesting because that cool. he has that flesh in heaven like right. that's you know it's that's a, remarkable yeah just crazy and he's the only one he he has the only body in heaven right now that's weird isn't that weird oh, whoa 
Anyway, that's I'm going to get distracted, and we're like closing in on how much time we have here. So finally, Jesus Christ is our Lord, which is almost coming back to the Christ thing. That is the more political statement of the three okay. roles there. Because when we're calling Jesus our Lord, we're saying we bow the knee and give our allegiance to Jesus above all, which is, that is a subversive thing to say, because that means that when the law of the land opposes the law of Christ, we're supposed to obey the law of Christ, which is much easier said than done. You especially realize like in uproarious times like this, like yeah. you think, like, oh, that sounds so nice. How and, willing are you to bear the consequence? Yeah. Because I mean, you know, back in the days of the early church, and I mean, in many parts of the world today still, that means death. Yeah. Like literally, like when Jesus was saying, yeah, take up your cross, that wasn't some wasn't summons to like, oh yeah, you know, analogy. yeah, like, oh, like let's, you know, it'll, this is a symbol or analogy. Take like your you're, metaphorical difficulty. Yes. It was like, no. yeah, like, are you, like, are you willing? Can like, you face death? Yeah. Like that might happen. Shoot. So that's what we're saying. Like, yeah, like even if you are going to throw us into the furnace or you're going to put the cross on our back, we still bow the knee to Jesus because he is our Lord. And that comes back to that moment in Matthew where he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And uh, with that authority, of course, he commissioned us as his vice regents to bring his rule to bear. So it's not even, again, coming back to that subversive political reality. It's not just that like, oh, we bow the knee to Jesus in a nice, polite way. It's like, no, like we are, I'm going to use the Lord of the Rings analogy because I just, you know, but like, it's like when... Council of Elrond. Well, you got the Council of Elrond. Oh, like, no, you can have a better example. Well, no. I was thinking of, this is more pronounced in the book than it is in the film, but when Aragorn is returning to Gondor, when he's returning to Minas Tirith, that is a big deal. In the film, you have this moment where Gandalf and Pippin show up in the hall, and Denethor is there. Yes. And Denethor is like, I have heard this tale of the Ranger of the North, Ooh. and I will not bow the knee to him, because Gandalf and Pippin are kind of, in that moment, they are acting, not explicitly, but they're acting as vice regents, like, they are heralding yeah, oh, the that- Turn of the king. What a perfect way to describe that, yes. Yeah, and in the books, it's very pronounced. Like, all these people are like, the king is returning to Gondor. Oh, gosh. And everyone's like, what the heck? And like, that is a very, (laughs) like, this tense moment. Yeah. That is what we're doing when we say Jesus is Lord. Like, Hmm. and the Denethors of the world don't want that. They're like, I don't, mm -mm, no, we're not not bowing to this ranger from the north. Like, he is not welcome to this, you know, like, where has he been? Like, where have the kings been? Like, where has he been? He's been up, he's been up away, you know, doing whatever. And like, no, he's been getting ready to come back to like... Jesus isn't doesn't need to be made worthy of the hall, but like that's what Aragorn was doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was it's just mm. so that's what we're doing. That's really I got really, really long way around that is like <laughs> when we say Jesus is Lord, we're going into the hall, essentially heralding the yeah, you know. and saying, "Hey, Denethor, get off the steward's throne," which Christ has that authority. In fact, it's funny to me that they call not funny, interesting that demons sometimes are called thrones because Jesus that is interesting unsat the thrones, yeah. unseated those thrones, and uh, huh. that's what it means when we say he is Lord. So, so in a single article, we actually delineate the unique role of Jesus as Redeemer, his relationship to God the Father, and his relationship with us as King. Wow, you said it even better than I did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. I had the whole podcast to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That Good in a stuff. nutshell is what we're saying when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Dig it. Yep, that's Article 2 of the Apostles' Creed. Hopefully it was helpful to you. We continue on. If it was, you can leave us an honest five-star review. Yes. Love it- that. Thank you so much. Share it on social media. And uh, if you have questions, you can email them to podcast at horizonschurch.net as always. Yes. Thank you for listening, my friends. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.